0: Uh,
1: The opening chapter of Out of the Comfort Zone is all about grace, especially among us as Christian leaders, more big-hearted toward one another, more forgiving. And uh, I, I just pray for a revolution of love.
2: The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hello and welcome to The Profile Podcast. I'm Sam Hells, editor of Premier Christianity magazine that brings you this podcast every single week, a different interview with a Christian who you can be inspired by. And this week's guest is no exception. George Verwer was the founder of Operation Mobilization, one of the best known mission agencies in the world. And he passed away around about a week ago. So we've delved into our archive and found this fantastic interview that George gave my colleague Justin Briley back in 2017. And we bring it to you right here, right now on the Profile Podcast. We really hope... You enjoy this conversation. If you want more content on George, then do head to Premier where you can read our obituary, a tribute from Bishop Joseph D'Souza towards his friend and partner in the ministry, George Verwer, who passed away last weekend. You can also read other interviews we've done over the years with George Verwer. It's all available right now at Premier But without any further ado, let's listen in to George Verwer in conversation with Justin Bryley. Welcome
0: along to the programme. I'm Justin Briley and my guest today is George Verwer, founder of one of the world's best-known mission organisations, Operation Mobilisation. Now 75, he became a Christian aged 16 at a Billy Graham rally in 1954 and after decades of work as the head of OM, he handed on his leadership 10 years ago. But he still travels the world encouraging people to get involved in mission and social action. George, thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Great to be here. Many visits to Premier Radio from the very beginning—it's—it's it's an honor.
0: Well, we're so pleased that you've come back again to talk to us because you're a globe trotter. It's—I um, never know exactly where you're going to be in any given month of the year because you—you you are a, a man who just why what you've come wearing today, which is a jacket of the the nations of the world. You—you—you you, you are a man with the whole world on his heart, aren't you?
1: That's for sure, and I'm just so. Uh, grateful for God's mercy, all of these um, 58 years of walking with Jesus.
0: Let's go right back to the beginning, because on this program, we like to hear how things began. You didn't grow up in a Christian family, did you?
1: No, but they they were seekers. Uh, My father was really the son of an atheist, both from the Netherlands, uh, but he married a woman whose background was uh, more unique. My Mother's grandfather was Scottish, Irish, and English. I think it's probably toxic, and he was an alcoholic. My grandmother divorced him. But I think they were seekers, and they ended up eventually— my dad didn't go to church initially, but eventually we all sort of went to sort of a family-oriented church that didn't believe the Bible. Um, you know, they're sometimes classified as liberal, mm-hmm. theologically, churches. But I think looking back, uh, God used that to prepare me for that night in the Billy Graham meeting when, you know, I really experienced a salvation and and reality in Jesus. What were you, what was
0: your life looking like up to that point um, by the time you'd reached the age of 16, 17?
1: I was so caught up in romance. You know, in those days we didn't jump in bed with the girls so quickly. That was not our culture, though some in my school did and went around boasting about it. We never knew what was true. But uh, we were more into, you know, rock and roll, dancing, a lot of kissing. So I think by the time I was 17, about 32 different girls had b- blown my romantic circuits. And that was leading me into a, a very beginning uh, combat or situation with pornography. But my other passion was money. I went into business when I was 13. I found a very hot fire extinguisher and learn how to sell it, lighting petrol fires on people's uh, in front of people's houses, and soon had almost two hundred outlets selling these extinguishers. So, you know, girls, money, um, fun. I had a very, a very happy life. I know this sounds strange to some people. I never had an unhappy day as a child. But when I heard Billy Graham speak about Jesus and the Bible says, I knew that was that was something different, and. Uh, that's when I came to Christ and it's been a reality every day ever since.
0: Well, I can tell just from the way you you sound at that point that this is still a reality today. uh, Yes. However many decades on.
1: Tell me, where where was that? That It was was Madison Square Garden, March 3rd, 1955, actually, preparing for the big campaign two years later. Mm. Two years later, I was mobilizing, hiring buses, coaches to take whole groups into New York City and from that church parking lot where they didn't really believe all this kind of thing so in a sense god saved me to be part of that 57 including the great yankee stadium meeting where characters like richard nixon led Mm, in prayer and then i went straight to mexico i found out later in mexico the campaign had been extended but i was on my way (laughs) and that was the first summer outreach to a foreign country which laid the platform for really for our
0: whole movement Staying with your conversion just for a moment, there was a a woman who particularly you feel was involved spiritually in that transformation. Absolutely.
1: I usually mention her before I mention those other things. Mm -hmm. But uh, she had heard about me. I I was about to become president of the student council, which is a big sort of responsibility in high school. And uh, I had done some – broke into a house once, and um, I wasn't really stealing. I was looking around, but the police – caught me and arrested me people were talking about me also my dancing so she put my name on her what i call a holy ghost hit list <laughs> and not only prayed and this is true she not only prayed that i'd become a christian she prayed that god would send me you know maybe she didn't want me around anymore but that god would send me as a missionary and got and then send me a gospel of john through the mail through the post and that was a major that gospel of john was major never did i dream that uh I would be part of starting a movement that would someday distribute Mm -hmm. literally hundreds of millions, hundreds of millions of gospels and other pieces of Christian literature. One woman prayed, and I encourage people uh, because I battle a lot of discouragement in my prayer life, and I encourage people, don't give up in your praying. You'll never see the real answers until you get to heaven. It's an
0: extraordinary story of how one woman can, can make a huge change. You, you never know the ripple effects that your prayer may be having. Uh, what, what happened that night when you went to that Billy Graham crusade? What what Can you remember any of the details? Oh, yeah.
1: First of all, I had this, this girl with me that I was completely bananas for. Um, but she was my age. She was one of the top girls. In our culture, the girls your age don't date you. They sure. date the older guys. Uh-huh. I was dating uh-huh. a younger girl but I took her with this secret passion I always had for her and so we sat as far away as I could because we heard you know I even heard he might be a hypnotist (laughs) and I had binoculars I'm watching him and uh, I can't remember the message because of course 58 years ago but it was it was it clearly resonated what i had been reading in this gospel that salvation is through faith in Jesus. I was a good works person. Mm. And I was trying to balance my bad stuff and there's quite a bit <clears throat> with good. Even in cards, I learned how to gamble and, and cheat at cards in Boy Scout camp. And when I won some money, you know, small stuff, I feel guilty. And so like Robin Hood, then I I went down and bought ice cream for the guys that I just cheated. So I was, you know, battling the good works thing. And a lot of churches, I think the church I went to, good works, be good, ooh, yeah, but he made it clear salvation is through what Jesus Christ did on the cross it's by faith and, and then he called people to come forward and like repent and I think I must have been convicted about the porno that I've been getting into I must have been convicted about my temper I had a bad temper got in quite a few fights I don't know all that I was convicted of but I know I was convicted and knew I needed Jesus and uh, I wish I could remember more <laughs> As soon as I went forward, I started to cry. They couldn't do proper counseling because somebody else was using the bottom of Madison Square Garden to prepare for the next day. So we were just given a gospel and left. When I went out into the street with this attractive girl, this was my first experience in Christian living. I'm not exaggerating. I went out in the street and guys spotted a little gang on the corner, spotted this girl, said something uh, unkind to her. Bang, I moved into action and said, look, uh, I don't remember what I said, but I confronted them about speaking about this girl. Whack. Next thing I knew, I was laying on the pavement. Unfortunately, the gang leader came along and saw this this young kid laying on the pavement and they said, back off, leave him alone. And then I remember riding home on the coach back to uh, New Jersey. Little did I know the rest of my life, I'd be knocked out and getting up many, many times. Yeah, that's it's, why I like Rocky, you know? uh, yeah. Rocky Rocky always looks like he's finished but he bounces back. <laughs> you you're you're
0: an extraordinary person. You've got this sort of absolute sense of vitality and that has come through in your work, in the way you talk about your faith, George. Um just before we go and talk obviously about the extraordinary ministry you've had around the world, Billy Graham himself, obviously you were among thousands that night at that rally. Did you actually get to meet him later in later years?
1: I first met him here in London just to say hello. I was in the Billy Graham office. He came in, "Hello, I'm Billy Graham." Shook his hand, and he went. It was a big. You know, I didn't wash my hand for several days <laughs> because he was my hero. And I don't think it's wrong when we're young people that we have models, we have heroes, because he influenced more than that night through his writings and radio. I read "Peace with God," and I read "Secret of Happiness." And right here in London, when I first moved to London in February of '62 living over here in Fulham, I read Seven Deadly Sins by Billy Graham and it was such a powerful book and repented as I saw some of those things still creeping into my own life. And then later when I preached at the big student convention in the late 80s, -hmm. Billy Graham was one of the other speakers and we got several minutes (laughs) uh, to talk. And I had the privilege then a few years ago when he wasn't well, visiting him in in his home. And I can say that he's never disappointed me.
0: He's obviously been a huge influence
1: on your life. And millions, millions yeah. of people. And he's a humble man. I'm very close to his grandson. Mm. And he's shared some of the struggles that Billy has had. Yeah. And he's, uh, you know, in many I'm reading a, a book right now about him and Chuck Templeton, mm. who was a greater preacher than Billy in those days and completely chucked the Christian faith. I'm reading that book right yeah. now, The Young yeah. Billy. Yeah. And Billy Graham, in many ways, is a very... Uh, ordinary apple pie American that God in his sovereign grace chose to use. And the crisis that comes out in this book is that where Chuck Templeton decided to walk away from the Bible because of his intellectual struggles, Billy Graham with intellectual struggles, which I've had all my life, somehow took that step of faith. This is the word of God. Mm. And uh, that's when things really began to happen. Los Angeles and the big explosion when the press pushed him
0: extraordinary what
1: what... i was alive during that period (laughs) it's
0: extraordinary what god can do with a surrendered life isn't it and i know that that's probably been part of the story for you surrendering on various different levels during your life but after that conversion experience that billy graham rally suddenly you were on fire for evangelism it started actually quite locally in in your local school didn't it
1: yeah i wanted to see my friends come to know jesus and uh, so I got permission from the headmaster—we call him the principal—to uh, uh, distribute gospels. And a thousand students, about 1,200 in this school, and I was soon about to become president of the student council. So everybody sort of talking about me. I won the election. I had to give a speech. Posters all over the school. Mm-hmm. Let George do it. So I had a voice. I was able to give my testimony to the whole school, which is illegal in America today. <laughs> and got a thousand to read the gospels. And a lot of people. A lot of people came to uh, Jesus. Of course, that build the fire got even greater. Mm. And of course, I was young. I was naive. I had to learn a lot more later on about common sense, about balance, about the fact that prayer isn't always answered the way you're hoping and dreaming. And I thank the Lord for his mercy and grace toward me. I think they're the two biggest words in my life next to the name Jesus is mercy and grace. And Greece. I think it's extraordinary,
0: though, sometimes what God can do, even with a very untutored, unsophisticated, pure zeal, which is kind of what a lot of people, when they first become a Christian, have. Now, sometimes as the sophistication increases theologically, sometimes the zeal diminishes as well. But would you say that's not been the case with you? No, I'm
1: I'm not. People keep waiting for a day when I'd lose my zeal. I guess they're going to take a picture of it and put it, put it on YouTube. Uh, but I've, I've never had a day where I haven't had this zeal from the Lord and commitment. I've never even had a boring day. It's, it's always one day at a time. I've had boring hours. And, you know, in the church, you meet a lot of boring people. But, um, again, it's, God works in different people in different ways. My own wife is very different from me and went into a whole year of depression. And I'm not asking people to be like what I am. And I know some of my zeal, some of my passion was there before I was a believer. Yeah. And so it's part of your personality. Yeah, yeah we're, we're a mixture. But yeah. people like me, if you read the books, and I've read too many, we, we don't run long distance. You know, we're, mm. we're sprinters. My okay. kind of temperament, yeah. boom, boom, boom. And maybe there's someone listening to me right now. You're zealous right now. and You're excited. But you probably haven't been hit below the belt much yet. You probably haven't, you know, had broken relationships. You probably Mm. haven't had best friends who knifed you in the back. You probably haven't had 1,000 unanswered prayers. You're all Mm. into answers to prayer. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, get ready. Fasten your Holy Ghost safety belt and get ready for the rough times and the disappointments. But Dr. Francis Schaefer especially who influenced my life, and I'm going through his video series right now again, You know, what are the other options? I've also had a lot of intellectual questions and especially things in the Old Testament just so totally bizarre to Mm me, Mm -hmm. my humanness. But, you know, what are the other options? So I've chosen what I believe and I'm I'm a more intellectual person than I look like uh, because I just read and study, not just Christian stuff, widely. Even the writings of atheists and agnostics. But, you know, what really are the other options and I don't think Christendom is the option. I think following Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and his principles like First Corinthians 13, I believe that's the most sane, sensible way to live, whatever little church uh, you're going to. And I prefer churches that emphasize the Bible and that are linked with people like Billy Graham myself. We're sometimes called evangelicals, quite mm-hmm. a broad term now. But whatever church you might be going to, the key is... Do you really know Jesus personally? Because I had religion. I was president of the Youth Fellowship. Yeah. I became the assistant to the pastor in that church. It's called the blind leading the blind club. <laughs> but I didn't know Jesus until that night when I heard the gospel. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Talk about um, how Operation Mobilization all began.
1: Very slow. I didn't know what really was going on. I wanted to go to Mexico because I heard they didn't have the gospel from my earliest days through different influences, including Christian Literature Crusade, I believed it was important to give everyone the gospel, whether they responded or not. And that's something about me that is not understood. That's something that's not – it's even less popular in this generation. We mm-hmm. want results. Yeah. We want to help people in their physical needs. We want to get into all these different ministries. And I am today. My life is totally changed in the last 10 years, and we can talk about that later. But I've never lost that initial vision. Everybody in the world should have at least one opportunity, as I did, to hear about Jesus. So that led me to put a big emphasis on reaching as many as possible. And that's why, though my hometown was a needy place, New York City was desperate, God led me to Mexico because Americans, most of them, had the opportunity. Radio, television, Bibles everywhere. Whereas I heard in Mexico, Many didn't have a Bible, didn't have a gospel, and I thought that's the, that's the so, place for me.
0: And that spread, obviously, to reaching unreached people groups all yeah. around the world in the course of time.
1: Which is a miracle about OM, that the initial vision uh, was the unreached people. That often in Christian agencies comes later, but that was our our initial DNA. Iraq, Afghanistan, Turkey. We were talking about these places in 1960, mm. and uh, and the communist countries... And then closed countries. That's why I moved to Spain. I had learned Spanish. I could have ministered in Latin America, but I knew Latin America had churches. They had missionaries. Spain was very neglected. I was challenging others to go to the tougher places, Turkey. Dale Rotan. we've been together over Mm. 54 years. He went to Turkey. But I thought, I'll take the easier target. I'm going to Russia. (laughs) But my first effort in Russia was a fiasco. I uh, I have what's called a stupidity streak. (laughs) And so I got caught by the KGB, accused of being a spy, and sent eventually back to Austria. And it was there in Austria in a day of prayer, uh, because the name of our little organization was Send the Light, after the hymn Send Mm -hmm. the Light. But in that day of prayer, God gave me the name Operation Mobilization and the vision, mobilize God's people in Europe. This was really big. And that's what led me to leave Spain, turn that over to others, move to London, February '62. And God had prepared Britain for this message, strong message on discipleship, reaching the unreached, Turkey, Iraq, Cambridge, Oxford, every university I went to. This was this was a shock and people responded. And so we saw a mini missions movement, especially in universities between 62 and 65. And that led really to the birth of OM, especially OM India, where these students ended up traveling by truck, by lorry all the way to India And started this work that now has 3,000 churches, over 3,000 workers, 107 schools, every kind of clinic you can Mm. think of. It all goes back to what God did here in Britain in the 60s through this unknown group, Operation Mobilization. And highly criticized because in those days people didn't believe in short term.
0: Well, absolutely. And I was going to say, you as this young visionary, did you, did you earn, earn many sort of critics along the way? I'm guessing you probably did. Oh, yeah. And, uh,
1: but I never held anything against any of them. And I, I knew, I don't know, I love people and I, I've never gone to bed with, uh, again, with anything against anyone, actually. I know not everybody experiences this. I think it goes back to to a positive childhood. I think our childhood is more influential than we know. Hmm. But um, one man especially, it was very hard, a real hardball, hardball Calvinists have never liked me. I I have a Calvinistic streak, but some of them don't see it. (laughs) And so uh, he said this – it was in the press. This George Verwer thinks because he distributed pornography, which I had done in a very tiny way, because he distributed pornography. He thinks he's qualified to distribute (laughs) Christian literature (laughs) – so, uh, Extraordinary. and I did find these things hurtful and, yeah. and an amazing story that no one hardly knows is a godly man, Gilbert Kirby in the Evangelical Alliance. He had a little compassion. He was hearing the complaints and he arranged a Jerusalem kind of meeting with the Evangelical Alliance in the 60s in their building, which wasn't far from here, where a few of these people could come and ask questions and god gave us many many friends we had way more friends than enemies and i never want to exaggerate the criticisms that i had because god gave us friends alan redpath became a great supporter and other christian leaders quickly got on board pretty soon people like tony sargent this big church in worthing were actually visiting o.m fields and since then he's had more visits to the mission field of of almost any pastor I've ever heard of in the history of Britain, one you, guy.
0: You you encourage people to go to these places to not just send money, but but it, because it changes lives, doesn't yeah, it? When, when it? It changes someone's perspective, I suppose, when yeah. they actually go. And- almost
1: every major mission in the world now is doing it. And most major churches have their own program. OM is not as important today, perhaps as it was in the '60s, because we pioneered something Mm. that uh, you know. Even denominations that are against OM, because some (laughs) are against parachurch groups, they put us in that box. I've written about that in my new (laughs) book, which you can get free, by the way. But uh, those churches have—they've actually founded their own OM program. They don't call it that in their own church. I celebrate all of this. Let's celebrate all the flowers. One of my favorite places, just down the road here, Wisley Gardens, all those different flowers let 's attack the weeds, but not attack one another
0: in that sense you you did almost create the model for the modern missionary movement in in a way uh, in terms of the way sending out people um, short term missions and so on. Uh, some people have suggested well, the missionary work is best done when it 's local people in local places evangelizing to you know people of their own culture. You still see a place, though, for Western missionaries going into different parts of the world yourself.
1: Yeah, I mean, that. if we believe in Satan, and I do, and I know that's not popular in these days, even though we run and see the Twilight series until our brains are <laughs> frozen. But uh, I believe that's just a trick of the enemy because it's only in certain places that the nationals can handle the huge task they're facing I think OM has a voice in this controversy and I've written about it in one of my other books because we do both. Most of our workers eventually in India were all Indians. How did it get started? It got started by missionaries. Now, India had a lot of missionaries even before we went and so the church was fairly well established. But there's 40 nations today that have less than 1% of what India has, huh? Forty nations, they're on my website. Hmm. So we need missionaries as much as ever, but not to the same places. Plus, uh, nationals can be legalistic. Nationals can get into extremism. Nationals can make stupid mistakes. I'd rather have a godly international in any country than a local national who's really on a tangent or in false doctrine or he's sleeping around with too many different women. God's big con- big concern isn't nationality. God's concern is reality, mm-hmm. and so I believe the global church partnership together, internationals, expats were sometimes called, mm-hmm. with nationals. That is the way forward, and we should stop bad mouthing each other. And it's so sad that there's been this, you know, bad mouthing in connection with this controversy, and then this, even this teaching. One famous Christian leader years ago. I couldn't believe it. He later repented, and then he left the country. But he said, we don't need British missionaries anymore. This is ridiculous. You know, I've been living here 50 years. I've been in another almost 100 nations. Britain is in the top 10 nations in the world for potential to make missions happen, both through short-term, long-term, finance, partnership, and it's it's all happening. Yeah. Meanwhile, of course, we have problems at home. Well, what's new? <laughs> is that new?
0: Um Part of the extraordinary ministry has been the OM ships, the Logos and, and others that have sailed the world, bringing um, aid of all kinds to, to that. When what, what was the process by which you first obtained a ship? Because that, I, I, that's quite a big yeah. purchase, isn't
1: it? I don't know how I got into that, really. When <laughs> I look at that, and we don't believe that's the most strategic thing going on in the world. It's just one thing that God did. Yeah. I mean, God is doing so much. But I came to Europe on the Queen Elizabeth and that ship thing must have got in my DNA. And then I was always crossing the channel and carrying all of our vehicles across the channel and paying big money. And as I looked at the map of the world, we were traveling overland to India, which was a nightmare. And we thought the route's going to be cut off by Iran or by Pakistan. And so it just seemed natural. There in the mid-60s, OM was really growing very fast. I thought we got to get at least, you know, one ship and I shared that and it was actually a converted pub in Bolton, Lancashire where I shared that vision and we just prayed about it. We didn't rush into it. I had to win my own people. There was was real opposition to this concept and I had to prove myself. And I think as young Christian visionaries, we should be patient, not overreact to criticism there is a sense we have to prove ourselves before we tackle something bigger. And then in 1970, October, we got that first ship. I lived on the ship with my whole family uh, half a year for quite a few years, and we saw this works. This, this yeah. is way more successful than we thought. <laughs> in many ways, we hadn't even dreamed this. So we look back now at 42 years of reaching over 100 million people with the word of God. Over 30 million have been up the gangway. So I think the Lord heard that lady's prayers.
0: Yeah. I'm in conversation today with George Verwa, founder of one of the world's best known mission organisations, Operation Mobilisation. I'm Justin Briley, and I'll be continuing to talk to George in a moment's time. Too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories. It's time for a more rounded perspective, balanced, relevant, Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church, wherever you live, however you worship. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe now at premierchristianity.com. Now only £5 for three months. I'm Justin Briley and I'm in conversation today with George Verwa, who's founder of probably one of the world's best-known mission organisations, Operation Mobilisation now 75, we're looking back at a lifetime of work in overseas mission. He became a Christian, aged 16, at the Billy Graham rally in 1954 in Madison Square Gardens. We were talking about that earlier on in the interview, George, and, and how that started a whole sequence of events that's led to where you are today. Um, there's all kinds of interesting areas. I, I don't quite know where to begin, but um, you've even gone into radio as well, haven't you? That was-
1: yeah, I was very excited about radio. Um, when I first went to Mexico and radio, Christian radio was illegal. No religious broadcast. It was really a slap in the face of the Catholics because of secularization mm. in Mexico, a long story. I even took a course at Wheaton College, though I was studying at Moody Bible Institute. I took a summer course before I went back to Mexico. And I did a lot of broadcasting with uh, – wasn't really a lot, but for me it was a lot in the early days at Moody uh, Radio But I saw so many major players going into radio. I thought we need to just support them. Mm -hmm. But in recent years, some years ago, because Afghanistan is sort of one of the big priority countries and uh, there wasn't that much radio. It wasn't me, but some Mm -hmm. of our co-workers birthed Pamir Radio. It was initially a separate thing and then emerged back into OM and it's going really well broadcasting the gospel into Afghanistan. They get a lot of phone calls and a lot of communication from Afghans. And OM, in God's providence, has helped birth many things. Over 150 agencies uh, traced their roots back to OM. Their founder came on OM. We didn't want everybody to stay with us. Mm. That was not our ethos. We weren't wanting to become, at that time, a sort of more traditional mission. We wanted to train people, wanted to see people revolutionized, transformed, Again, go back to their church, join other great agencies. We always expose kids to these agencies. And I remember when some real hot shots from the Middle East wanted to start something really new in the area of literature for the Middle East, when I was already on overload with the, with the Send the Light here in the UK, which was really growing the, the the early literature arm of OM. And I said, "Look, why don't you guys, you know, leave OM and then start that on your own?" They weren't too happy, hmm. and I, and that meant they had to find their own money because everybody was thinking I, you know, we emphasize mainly prayer, but on the human level, they thought I had sort of this pot <laughs> of gold, <laughs> and I needed help finding the finance. I said, "If you go a separate, you 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 raise your own money," and they did. And out of that literature movement was born Sat Seven, right. the same guy that. That I asked to leave that day became the founder of Sat Seven, that great television ministry uh, that's doing more in in the Middle East than than we can ever imagine.
0: Yeah. So sometimes it is the right thing for people to move on to begin their own ministries to to work absolutely out of their own absolutely. Thing. One of the key areas that I know you've been passionate about is is India um, because in the last several decades there has been an extraordinary growth especially among the the dalits the so-called untouchable caste of christianity hasn't there what what have you seen in the time that you've yeah. been ministering there
1: well india for my wife and i is is number one it's the number one nation in our life i went there to visit the teams that i sent in the end of 63 we sent them overland i just like that decided we're going to send teams to india one of them was greg livingston who leader co-founded Frontiers. And then I went to visit these teams and decided to take a trip around India. That trip completely changed my life. I was overwhelmed um, that this this is where I belonged. I belonged. And I notified my wife about to give birth to our third child. (laughs) I said, in six months, we're moving to Bombay. And I lived in India for a number of years and helped start that work. And that's the work that has grown the most. We gave it the greatest priority, even in terms of finance. That's Mm -hmm. why I stopped going into other countries, because we wanted to do more in the Muslim countries and India. And it's just exciting to look back. But the greater breakthroughs have come under the dynamic leadership of an Indian, Joseph D'Souza, who I think has been on Premier Radio, who wrote a couple of books about the Dalits and uh, he's just been used mightily of the Lord to spearhead uh, schools for the Dalits, good schools, English, medium schools, which is the only thing on a human level that can get them out of the curse of poverty and the curse of casteism. And so we now have 107 of those schools. I visited some of them personally. And then many other ministries for Dalits were very much battling the sex traffic uh, challenge. We're battling the whole thing of pushing children into factory uh, factory sort of slavery. I've just been to one of those towns in Tamil Nadu that's famous for that. Mm. And at the same time, we've seen about 3,000 churches or fellowships uh, come into it's, our network it's, it's all over India it's incredible
0: yeah, yeah absolutely so thousands of churches and and other groups are seeing a similar response yeah, because it's a big country OM is only one of many great ministries absolutely and, and the, the joining of social action with evangelism I guess that's always been part of what OM has stood for
1: no no we uh, that's only in the last ten years okay and pioneered by Joseph D'Souza and by Peter Maiden who's been the director for the last ten years Some thought that I would never come on board because I felt our thing was discipleship, church planting. I I felt I'd already broadened out enough Mm. from my original vision. (laughs) And so though I was in favor of that kind of thing, I thought, well, others are going to be led. And then this huge change took place in my life and my theology that people never expected. Uh, I, I embraced it because I saw it in the scriptures. Tony Campalo influenced me. Ron Sider, who I initially disagreed with, didn't influence me. John Stott, who I would meet with almost every year, was one of the greatest influences in my life. This is more in the recent years. And then people in my own movement, an art, artist-type guy from Sweden <laughs> who wanted to start Operation Mercy within OM. And I was so committed to him. I'm sort of a hyper-pragmatic. <laughs> and I thought, if Bertil wants to do it, let him do it. And he told me, well, the money will come out of Sweden. Oh, good. <laughs> And so these things evolved in OM and the last 10 years. We have married social transformation, social action with proclamation, church planting. It can be done, not easy, and some go astray. And the social action just consumes them. Yep. Pretty soon they're not even talking about Jesus. That's not happened in our movement and under our new leader, Lawrence Tong, who steps in September 1st. Uh, I believe... We're going to continue to have that balance. If you want to
0: get any more info on George, um, you're you're very open with people getting in touch with you. People can literally email you.
1: Seven hours a day on the laptop. (laughs) And I try not to work more than 15 hours a day, so I'm available.
0: (laughs) George.verwa at om.org. And you will get someone to send them a copy of your book as well.
1: Yeah, I answer the email personally. I usually pray over it. And uh, we send these books out, no strings attached. You'll not be added to some database. If you want information about OM, that's a separate thing. You can ask me, and yeah. I'll. Mm-hmm. And OM has some terrific websites sure. you can go back.
0: But drops from a leaking tap is the the most. Yeah, my latest
1: book. book that I'd love to send uh, as a gift. It's in that book where I really share my struggles with lust. That chapter's helped a lot of people and um i'm getting terrific feedback from that book i'm now working on a sequel called more drops (laughs) so we'd love to send that
0: Uh, so are you the leaking tap in question yeah um let's talk about some of these drops um you you are very frank about your struggles you're sort of an open book really when it comes to these things whereas some leaders would perhaps Keep this stuff private. You've been very honest about your struggle over the years with pornography, for instance, yeah. because it, it wasn't something that just, as it were, ceased at your conversion, was it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I burned my magazines, which were, of, you know, they were all mild next to what people are being tempted sure. to look at today. This stuff But uh, it was big in my life. Mm. But the mind and the constant infatuation with girls, which was much bigger than the pornography, being with a girl, Mm. dancing and kissing. Mm. And my life was very confusing and God was so merciful. I would lead a girl to Christ. I remember once in Washington, D.C. and then I'd what we call back in those days, I'd neck with her. Uh, and kiss her for the next hour. It's not really in the it's not really in the follow up <laughs> books. It's not in the official sort of how so, to minister uh, to a new couple. Eventually then I was in a car in a church parking lot. It's so funny because this liberal church, the pastor actually told me if you want to kiss your girlfriend, you know, feel free to use the church parking lot. And uh, but the Baptist church, which was more of a biblical church where I went that night, I didn't think they'd be too happy about it. <laughs> so after church, I took this girl down to the other church parking lot, and uh, the liberal church parking lot, and started to get involved a little more uh, than kissing when I just realized this is a dead-end street. I'm deceiving this girl. She's getting a bit serious about this, mm. and I'm going off to college. Mm. And that's when I went into my cold turkey fast for two years. I can't believe that happened. I didn't kiss a girl. I didn't date a little bit. I was kissing the pillow, crying out. And that's when I left university and went to Moody. And so the next woman in my life was the woman I married. I'll never forget it. I went to rent a film. I would have never met this woman if it wasn't from an evangelistic passion. Reached Chicago. I went to rent a film. She was in charge of films. The moment I saw her, I just blew my romantic circuits. <laughs> I broke my fast, moved in on the Target, said something totally stupid and frightened her. For me, it was love at first sight. For her, it was fright at first sight. But I managed to get her. And I'm telling you the truth, on a date, sort of an interrogation, I said, look, probably nothing going to happen between you and me. But, you, you know, you need to know I'm going to become a missionary. And if you marry me, probably you will end up being eaten alive by cannibals in New Guinea. And How could she turn you down? <laughs> you know, she was not in love, but I mobilized my prayer warriors and God broke her heart and she agreed to marry me. And we've had 53 great years, not always easy. We're very different, but she loves Jesus. She believed in global missions. And that glue together with a wonderful married life and three children, five grandchildren, uh, we have so much to thank the Lord yeah. for.
0: Adrina, um and yep. and she's obviously been a rock in your life in that sense.
1: Yes, a very much more difficult background. Her father killed in the war. Her stepfather abused her, at least verbally, threw her out of the home. I would have never met her if uh, she had not been thrown out of her home. She was mm-hmm. from Milwaukee, north of Chicago. And she's gone through a lot of uh, challenges, and I did. I've done some really stupid things at times. Never got total victory over uh, over pay- impatience. By the way, I'm looking for autographs in the back of my Bible for people that have total, complete victory over, in, you know, impatience. I often <laughs> offer this when I preach. I'll be preaching yeah. this Sunday in a church. Not one person has autographed my Bible yeah. yet.
0: Well, I think you're willing to to kind of be upfront <laughs> about the challenges because for every sort of, I often see that what is often the strength of someone the flip side can also be their weakness as well yeah and for you you're obviously got that get up and go like you know anything is possible kind of attitude but i guess the flip side of that can be impatience as well
1: yeah and other things um i mean lust has cut many top leaders down another one of my very close friends just cut down recently on um I I really declared war against this and I, 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 I'm greatly influenced by other godly people and by books, books about sex. In fact I started I got rid of the fire extinguisher thing mm. which is the first business I had and I got into selling Christian books before I went to Mexico and I in selling books thought this Christian sex books are ones that really sell. <laughs> and uh, I started reading those books. What a help. Stephen Alford Sanctity of Sex one of the first then I realized from Billy Graham Billy Graham's sermon what the Bible says about sex and we need to be open and honest about this over 500 verses in the word of God I talk about this in my books so I'm indebted to the people who mentored me the books that helped me and I feel sad that many people are not reading some of these books Mm. the ignorance about Mm. sex Mm. even among uh, non-Christians they think they know so much and, you know, their marriage is dead end before the end of the first year because they're so ignorant of what's involved in marriage and having a good sex life. I thought of writing a good book on that, you know, how to have a good Holy Ghost yeah. sex life. But I think many
0: churches are almost scared of mentioning it. It gets swept under the carpet. But you think we should be more open?
1: Absolutely. The Bible is. And I realize it's tougher for a pastor of a church uh, who's there all the time. It's easier for me. I'm itinerant. <laughs> I blow in, drop my you know, my spiritual minds, and I'm out of town. But also, OM, and I thank the Lord, became a mm. grace awaken movement. Grace Awakening is the biggest thing that happened about... It started in the very beginning, thank the Lord, but 25 years ago through Swindle's book, Grace Awakening, then Yancey's What's So Amazing About Grace, and other books that were a little hard, on certain parts of OM. We learn. You often learn from your enemies. And a grace awakening came in our movement. So the movement has allowed me, even as their leader, to be grace awakened, to to take risks. And of course, we've been criticized. And even uh, places won't have me because they hear I push books too much or I talk about (laughs) sex. And um, I mean, one of the great heartbreaks in my nation is so many closed doors because of the gossip about Mm, me. But I've never had any resentment. That's the way life is. Doors open, doors close. Gossip is part of life. To get bitter or upset or angry is just foolish. It's just foolish. And so I thank the Lord for Charles Swindoll. Never even met him. (laughs) And uh, grace awakening, being big hearted. I talk about that in that other book. Uh, The opening chapter of Out of the Comfort Zone is all about grace especially among us as Christian leaders, more big-hearted toward one another, more forgiving. And uh, I I just pray for a revolution of love.
0: You've also had, as well as certain moral struggles in your life, um, intellectual struggles. Huge. The the evil, suffering, has, has, I think, been a big question for you. Probably something that you've been more witness to than most people because of the way you've traveled around the world, the scene, the way that some people have to live their lives, the challenges they're faced with. you ever come to any kind of resolution on those questions
1: yeah the last verses in Romans 11 who has known the mind of the Lord my faith has changed in that faith now incorporates doubt it incorporates struggle you know what are the other options in my dark moments I had trouble believing that a God of love existed what I've seen the suffering I've seen the disappointments The two people I turned the work over to in Britain in the mid-60s were both, within a year, killed in a car accident in Poland. Then four more were killed in Yugoslavia uh, some years later. And I was helped by Billy Graham, who said, life at its best is filled with sadness. And I learned to absorb sadness. and, And so the global suffering thing is a huge thing for me that I can't handle. Right now, Syria... And and when you're my age, I read very widely, both secular and Christian, uh, and my heart just aches over this idealistic craving for democracy. The moment they started demonstrating in Egypt a year or two years ago, I knew the mess is going to increase. A lot of people are going to die. A lot of people are going to be hurt. But that's the way it is on this planet because Satan does have... Some grip, some power. God has given us free will. I think if we only emphasize sovereignty and we don't emphasize free will, then we don't have sensible answers to some of these horrific things. Yeah. Floods in India right now. I'm trying to raise money for that. The tsunami. We were involved in raising money for that. And I just believe our faith has to incorporate that we will live with doubt. Yeah. We will live with doubt. So I, I have doubts— And the enemy, I think, wants to try to, in my senior years, I think the enemy wants to make a mess of my life. But by God's grace, I'm going to hold to his word and to his promises and uh, realize, as a great Scottish theologian said, great faith is not often in the absence of doubt. It's often in the midst as we wrestle with doubt in our pilgrimage.
0: I mean, another issue that I can imagine has come across your path because of the nature of what you've been doing for so many decades is is the question of other religions you know you've obviously been involved in evangelism bringing people to christ often out of other religions other worldviews. has that ever kind of been an issue for you as to why god would allow all these other religions to and, and whether people can approach god in any sense in their own religious worldview?
1: Yeah, all my life, you know, standing in the streets of Bombay, giving out tracts to thousands of Hindus, saying to myself, you know, are these people lost? Am I better than them? Mm. Of course, that is a tough issue. But I made the same decision as Billy Graham, that the Bible is God's word. And part of me really, really doesn't like certain things in the Bible, especially that there's no other way except through Jesus – in a planet of 7 billion where despite all our great efforts hundreds of millions have still not heard so to be honest forgive me you know i may be wrong i may be wrong and i'm in in my conversations with non-christians i'm you know maybe more understanding of their viewpoint even atheists they have reasons mm-hmm. for what they believe but i have chosen a different road It's interesting That famous atheist Anthony Flew Almost as famous As some of the guys We're talking about these days He completely changed his mind He did And I've seen his book uh, There is a God And I when my dark moments I thought If Anthony Flew His whole life Wrestled with this And came out to believe There was a God You know What am I doing In the midst of my struggles Doubting whether there is a, a yeah. You know A God of love
0: yeah. So Um so you've, you've wrestled with these questions. Still I still mean, am, even still on the way do, yeah. to the
1: broadcast this morning. <laughs> yeah.
0: I suppose in that sense. I'm, my mind is too active. The, the journey continues from, yeah. from the time you, you first found Christ. But to I stick
1: with the Bible. I listened to a series of tapes by Dr. Schaefer. I was seasick on the way to India on a ship before we had our own ship. And I was struggling with things in the Bible. And I heard his series of tapes. The Problems of the Man Who Doesn't Believe the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I have chosen the best road. You know, if in the end I'm all wrong, well, I have to leave that. That's <laughs> that, that's not my thing right now. I'm going to follow Jesus with all my heart. And my passion to reach the masses is as great as ever. And OM has allowed me to have a ministry called Special Projects that I'm the director of, a, a ministry within a ministry. Yeah. And we're working with agencies and former OMers. There's... Um, over 160,000 former OMers out there. And this last 10 years had been just as challenging and exciting as my previous 10 when I was director, 46 years director what, what are the of OM. Big,
0: what are the big challenges then in modern mission? Um, we still have a world in which millions, billions of people don't know Christ. We live in a world now of extraordinary technological advantages, which I'm sure you couldn't have dreamed of when you began things in the 1950s. but But... Is it still about getting people on the ground, talking to people about Jesus Christ? Is that ultimately what... what I think it's everything.
1: Like? I think it's God leading different people in different ways. John Stott talked about the other 98% here in London. Who are they? The 98% of so-called ordinary people. They're not priests, they're not pastors, they're not missionaries, they're not George Bowers. They are the key to London, the other 98%. And God how, will how, lead them how in different you, ways. How do you impart just a bit
0: of the passion you evidently have george to those people because often the problem is we get so kind of self-focused navel gazing we 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 don't think about the bigger picture do we
1: we got to use radio we got to use television we got to use twitter we got to use facebook we got to use youtube we got to talk to people personally we have to be an example and i still take about 300 meetings a year In almost every meeting, I see people making commitments. I keep in touch by email with thousands of people. This is the period of the greatest harvest of people to Jesus the world has ever known. Probably more in the lifetime of my grandfather, my father, and me than in the previous 1,850 years. So we should be excited. We should be motivated. We need a balance of truth. We need to read a balance of books. Listen to both sides of the story. An example of this is how we're becoming paranoid against Muslims. It's only a small percentage of Muslims that are extremists. The strongest force against them are moderate Muslims who disagree with them. Sure. Of course, we know there are these negative verses in the Quran that are being emphasized a lot. There's horrible negative verses in the Bible. Maybe somebody ought to try the Old Testament. Mm. But we believe, of course, Jesus in his teaching overruled all that. And there are Muslims who believe the way they believed, especially Sufis. They are totally opposed to terrorism. Mm -hmm. We need to show Muslims we love them. You know, we're happy they're here. There's a million in London. Uh, We have teams just working among them. And beware, and this is happening more in the States because of the extreme... Uh, kind of faith which is so fanatic against Obama and fanatic against this and that Mm. and I find people have lost their focus our focus is Jesus our focus is God of course there are problems of course there's a mess in the White House what area of society is there not a mess (laughs) the church (laughs) but God works within the mess God works within the mess
0: you call it messiology yeah
1: messiology my own word don't confuse with missiology (laughs) that's the theology of missions we're into that as well in fact in a program here on premier radio we pushed that book yeah. operation world if you don't have a copy i'll send you <laughs> one free but that's probably one of the most important mission books of all times and there's a new edition out
0: it's been fantastic talking to you and we could have talked all day george so much more. thought it was all day well <laughs> um if you want to get a copy of one of george's books just email him uh, george.verwa at org. his latest is Drops from a Leaking Tap but there's Out of the Comfort Zone and, and all kinds of others that we've talked about today it's been fascinating to spend an hour or so with you today George and um, 75 years but still going strong all the very best with what God may have for you next in store
1: thanks look forward to meeting you look forward to seeing some of you it's great I have a freedom pass to travel the whole of London and to meet Christians on the train and on the tube and on the bus. It's always very exciting. So if you see me, you might see me with my global jacket. Uh, (laughs) Say hello and I'll give you a book.
0: I'm Justin Briley, and today I've been speaking with George Verwa.
2: You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine.